0: Amen. Let's have our seats as we pray. Our Father, we thank you for today. We give you praise. We worship you for your presence in our midst. Thank you for gathering us together once again before your presence and before your throne. Father, we ask, O Lord, as we go into your word, that you speak to us in Jesus' name. As you've always done, teach us by yourself in Jesus' name. And let your name be glorified. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. So today we are going to be continuing on our series titled the functions of the holy spirit this is part three of the series and um, in the first two parts we have spoken extensively about the person of the holy spirit that was the first day that's the first part (coughs) and um, the second part we spoke about the the deity of the Holy Spirit and the focus the reason why we focused on these two first before moving into any particular actions that the Holy Spirit will take or any particular function or any particular work that the Holy Spirit does is because we had to establish that the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not a human being in that he doesn't have flesh and blood but he is a person, he is a distinct entity that has the ability to function and to do things that only personalities can do. We made it extremely clear that the Holy Spirit is not a force, that the Holy Spirit is not a force, he is not um, energy that just fills up a place. Yes, sometimes when we are in worship or we are in prayer, or there, or His manifest presence is felt. We feel Him, and sometimes people get prayed for and hands are laid on them, and they feel the presence of the Holy Spirit, and they get knocked down by the anointing. But this does not make the Holy Spirit a force. He's not a force. He's a person. He has the attributes of a person and in the second um, lesson we talked about how he is a deity essentially explaining and examining that yes the Holy Spirit is God and we looked at the things that made him God some of the attributes that he shares or he shared um, with the God the Father and God the Son some of the ways that they relate with each other and those are the things that we have looked at so far. So in today's teaching we are going to be looking at his functions and we'll start to look at his functions in detail. Um, These functions are divided majorly into four in this series and today we're going to look at the first three because the first three are less bulky than the fourth one so we'll spend a little more time dissecting the fourth one um, when we meet again in the next two weeks so the three that we're going to be looking at today are number one the holy spirit in the creation and preservation of the universe number two the holy spirit and the unbeliever What is his role in the life of the unbeliever what's the Holy Spirit's job in the life of those who are not saved who do not know God number three the Holy Spirit and the life of Jesus himself and number four which we're not looking at today but we'll look at extensively in the next two weeks the Holy Spirit and the believer so those are the four major sections Those are the four major dimensions that we look at to examine the functions of the Holy Spirit in this teaching, and we'll be done with this topic by the grace of God. I just want us to open our Bibles to the book of Psalm 33, verse 6. And the reason we are starting from here is because we had already looked at the first scripture that I wanted I was going to use and it's in the manual anyway the first scripture I was going to use to highlight what the Holy Spirit's job is in creation we've looked at it already in the first lesson when we looked at Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 where well, we looked at what the Bible says in the beginning That the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit hovered upon the face of the waters. Then after that you see, and God said, let there be light. Today we're reading Psalm 33 verse 6, and the entirety of Psalm 33 actually speaks about the sovereignty of God in creation. It's a very beautiful psalm that I would encourage us to read. But if we look at verse 6, the Bible says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. The breath of his mouth, that sounds very similar. And it sounds familiar because if you think about the creation of God himself, I mean the creation of man, the Bible talks again about how God breathed into man in genesis and man became a living soul and i remember that we had a teaching where we looked at the meaning of breath and we said that in greek the word pneuma which stands for the holy spirit also means breath or wind or spirit so here we see as the psalmist is talking about creation he's talking about the fact that the word of the lord made the heavens because he said by the word of the lord the heavens were made and this is consistent with what we see in genesis chapter 1 where the bible says that and god said let there be light that's the word of the lord but that's not the only thing that is present here he also says from the breath of his mouth all the host of them that represents the spirit of God who was hovering upon the face of the waters in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 giving you proof that of the truth the Holy Spirit was active and present in the creation of this universe one of the most vital things about the bible that we need to let ourselves know or remind ourselves of and this will help us in our bible study It will also help us as we find ourselves in places where the word of God is shared. There is no truth in the Bible that is found in just one place. Anybody that wants to expound the truth of the word of God to you cannot just open one verse of the Bible and just lean only on that verse as the carrier of that truth somewhere else in scripture that truth has to be backed up somehow new testament old testament because the bible is a progressive revelation of truth one truth so there's no point where there's something in the bible that's only one verse backs it up or only one place backs it up any truth that is being exposed in scripture can be found somewhere else. There has to be someone else or somewhere else where it is written that backs up that specific truth. So here we see the book of Psalms backing up what was written in the book of Genesis. That of a truth, yes, the word, which is Jesus and the Holy Spirit were both present with God when the world was created. So we've talked about creation for a bit. I want to talk about preservation because creation might be easy to understand with our heads, but one of the most profound truths that we learn from this same scripture is that the Holy Spirit is also involved in the preservation of this world. And I want us to check Psalm 139, from verse seven. And it says, where can I go from your spirit Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely, the darkness shall fall upon me, even the night shall be the light on me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide you from me, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I would praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth you saw your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed and in your book they were all written the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them amen would we'll read two more and then we'll explain can we just go to Isaiah 40? If we of Isaiah chapter 40, I'd like someone to read from verse 5. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. The voice of the voice said, "Cry." And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodness all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass with red, the flower faded, because the spirit of the Lord blur upon it. Surely the people is grass. Amen. 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 So he said something about the breath of the Lord there in verse seven. And that really is my focus for this. He says that the breath of the Lord does something interesting. He says that the breath of the Lord blows on it and surely the people are like grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. So he was talking about the temporary nature of the human life. But he was also talking about how essentially it is the breath of the Lord that sustains all human life. But not just human life, but the planet's life as well. I think on some level, <coughs> I think on some level, it is easy for us to accept that the Holy Spirit sustains humanity, and for us to accept that the Holy Spirit is even involved in the sustenance of the world as we know it. But He is. Because the Holy Spirit was actively involved in the creation of this world, every single thing that was done from the first day to the sixth day, before we get to the seventh day where God rested, the Holy Spirit had an active involvement in it. He wasn't passive, He wasn't a passenger. Amen. He wasn't a passenger, (coughs) He was an active participant. In everything that God did. And because He was an active participant in every single thing that God did, then He is also involved in preserving the known universe. God didn't just create and walk away from everything that He had done. Although the systems of this world are not governed by God, God still puts things in place. That makes the world still function the way it is today. And the Bible says seed time and harvest time would not cease. It was talking both physically and spiritually. But the fact that you can go out and plant something. And have the assurance that it's going to germinate. Is a direct manifestation of what God had done. He talked about seed time and harvest time. So the Holy Spirit in creation and the preservation of the universe is active. Amen. I want us to look at the Holy Spirit and the unbeliever. And I want us to open to John 16. This is part of our root scripture. John 16 from verse 8. This was when Jesus was talking about the walk of the Spirit. And he said, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin. Because they do not believe in me. And he says, of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Amen. The Holy Spirit has one role one role one singular role in the life of unbelievers and his role is to convict them of sin his role is to bring the knowledge of christ to them so just as jesus when he was on this earth he was going about his father's business when jesus left and sent the holy spirit The Holy Spirit was supposed to continue that work as well on this earth. Now, he does the work primarily through us. So he he does it through the testimony of believers and the word of God that we share. But he does not do it exclusively through us. And I'm going to explain what that means. Primarily, the vehicle, the people... The instruments that the Holy Spirit uses to do this work of conviction, to do this work of sharing the gospel to the unsaved world, to do the work that Jesus has highlighted here in terms of convicting them of what? Of righteousness and of judgment. That work is done primarily through believers, you and I, but it's not done exclusively through us. What do I mean by this? There are people in this world who got saved without being preached to. Nobody said anything to them. There are people in some places in this world that salvation got to supernaturally, who were broken, who were convicted of their sin. Who repented and came to God without a single soul talking to them about Jesus Christ? Who did that work? Spirit of God. It's a primary function that He has here, and He's still performing that role. And at this point, I want to talk a bit about evangelism. You see, sometimes we talk about evangelism as our mandate, and yes, it is. But I want to tell you something that might be a bit fascinating. You see, the thing is, God's plans, God's plan for this world is going to come to pass. Either way with or without us now i recognize that it is not physically possible for every single christian to say that they are not going to preach the gospel it's not possible there are people who will obediently follow jesus and follow god and take up this mandate and do the work but hypothetically speaking that's hypothetically somehow if in some alternate universe all the Christians there decided that they are not going to talk about Jesus the Holy Spirit will do the job himself it's one of his roles here, it's one of his functions so when I say that the plan of God will get fulfilled either way without us what I am saying is like just the best thing for Christians is to get on the boat and just do it because we might limit the work of the Holy Spirit to the life of believers alone but he has a job in the life of unbelievers and his job is to convict of sin about the righteousness and judgment of God and he does it primarily through us but he does not do it exclusively through us so when you read very amazing stories and testimonies of people that somehow give their lives to Jesus in remote villages where nobody preached to them nobody said anything to them something just had happened in their hearts and they had an awareness of a God somewhere and they broke down they repented and they decided to follow this God People that it takes a while for them to get in contact with the Bible, but somehow they're already living the Christian life before a Bible ever gets to them. How do you think these things happen? It's by the Holy Spirit, it's his work on this earth. And if we choose not to do it, yes, there are other people that would do it. But he would also do it himself. You know, so I had a conversation a conversation with someone actually someone here and we're talking about um, we're talking about the how sometimes it felt kind of unfair like to her on some level because basically she was looking at her own personal life and looking at all the things that God has done and it's, it's a feeling that I could identify with in a sense because we all have to come there somehow. Essentially, when, when you come in contact with Jesus and you truly come in contact with him, one of the first reactions you would have is just how much grace has found you because you would be able to look around people around you that don't have that same grace people that probably are in your network, people that might be friends, people that may be associates, colleagues, fellow students, whatever the relationship is, and feel like, like, what did I do to deserve this? You get, that's a good feeling because that's recognition that you didn't get what you had by yourself that feeling is supposed to spur you towards evangelism anyway which is sharing the good news that you have received but we kind of talked about it to a point where she was kind of talking and we're talking about whether there's any bias in it you get any bias in that somehow i have received jesus and i had this Whatever the experience is, I had this experience. Yes, there's somebody else there that hasn't. And you're looking like, I mean, what makes me so special? Do we understand? When we had that conversation. One of the things I said to her was, you can only speak for yourself. You cannot categorically say for sure that the Holy Spirit has not also been trying to reach that person that you're thinking about because i can bet you that he has somehow maybe not even through you yes the fact that you responded to god is a measure of grace but you also made a choice you made a choice And maybe that person or those people are yet to make that choice. But either through you (coughs) or somebody else, there are people in this world that you might think of and be like, I wish they were here. You know, I wish they were in church. I wish they could fellowship. Maybe you've spoken to them a couple of times, invited them to a couple of things, and you're just wishing they could, wishing they could. We can't fault the Spirit of God, there's no bias. See, the thing is, Jesus would always call everybody to follow him. And that's the exact same thing the Spirit of God does in the hearts of people. Everybody has those experiences somehow. Some people will say something like, when I went to evangelize, um, I met this guy, and the first thing he told me is, he told me that, see, that's because I'm in Nigeria. That if I was not born in Nigeria, and if I was not born in the house that I was born in, I probably would not be a Christian. That he himself, he was born in a Muslim family, so he's a Muslim. That he's not really practicing it, all, but I mean, that's what he grew up with. And that was not the first time I was hearing that argument. I've heard it countless times over the years. And that day, because I've heard it over the years, and God has helped me to give an answer to it. What I said to him was, I used to, I used to agree with this thing before. There was a time in my life where this thing you are saying made so much sense to me, that it was easy to accept it as true. Until God taught me two things, just two things as evidence. The first is that any human being who grows up in a Christian household and grows up with Christian practices at some point will have to make a decision. No matter what the routine is, no matter how many Sunday schools, no matter how many church services that their parents or guardians drag them to and they go, at some point in that person's life, the person will make an active choice That choice would come to the person, whether the person likes it or not. And it is that moment that would decide whether or not they are truly Christian. Even if they keep with the routine. That's the first thing. The second thing is, if that were true, then how come in the Middle East, in China, in India, in all these countries where the percentage of people that you can actually say were born in Christian homes is even way less than what we can have here because those countries, their culture and their religion for the longest time were so infused together that you could not separate both. Because Nigeria to a very large extent because of colonization was still a very mixed multitude. So how can you explain countries where it's not such a mixed multitude, where before you find a black human being, in Scandinavian countries, before you see another a black man, you would really look, because those countries have been so isolated, that they've always existed on their own. How can you explain that in these countries where you have Hinduism, Buddhism, um, Viking religions, Celtic beliefs, belief in Norse gods and mythology and all these things, how can you explain somehow the gospel still penetrating these places? Churches still rising up in these places. People still accepting Jesus in the face of adversity. One simple reason. Because you see, the Holy Spirit, this job in the life of unbelievers, he's actively doing it. And he's going to do it till the return of Jesus. So when it comes to God, there's no favoritism. There's no marginalized people. There's nobody that he doesn't try to reach. There's nobody that the Spirit of God doesn't convict. Because that's his work on this earth. And as believers, we have to believe it. Because it's what the Bible says. And because it's what the Bible says, we have to believe it. Because when we believe it, it will change our worldview. It will change our worldview. It will change how we even see people in our lives. I have a very strong maybe partly controversial belief but it's very strong and it's based on this scripture and it's what i believe because it's what the word of god says and i believe that anybody who has currently not accepted jesus is either consciously or unconsciously rejecting him actively you know a passive thing they might Be conscious of that active rejection. They might not know that what they are doing is rejection. Which is what I mean by unconsciously. But they are actively rejecting him. Anybody who has not accepted him today. Is actively rejecting him. Except they have not heard. But anybody who has heard. Because the spirit of God is always doing this work. Always doing this work. And that's my belief. The third thing, which is the final point for today. And this final point, it's not really stuff to, is the Holy Spirit and the life of Jesus we're going to look at the seven major points or areas where the Holy Spirit functioned in the life of Jesus. The first is that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. That means he was literally born of the Spirit. That's when the angel visited, um, when Gabriel visited Mary, what he told her was that the Spirit of God will overshadow you and you would conceive and bear a son. So he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. The second was that he was baptized of the Spirit. When he was baptized in water, he was baptized of the Spirit and he was led to the wilderness to be tempted by the same Spirit. You can find that in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, into Matthew chapter 4, from verse 1. he was baptized and he was led into the wilderness but the Bible tells us some other interesting things that we might not have noticed and the third is he was anointed by the Spirit for service in Acts chapter 10 verse 38, the Bible says it says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. So he was anointed by the Holy Spirit for service. That's the third thing. The fourth thing which I have written here which might also not resonate with us maybe it does is that he was crucified in the power of the spirit. And I read from Hebrews chapter 9 i read from 13 for context, but where we are going to is 14. It says, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself, without spot to god cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living god the writer of hebrews was making a comparison between the blood of bulls and goats and the blood of jesus that if the blood of bulls and goats could do the work that he did in the old testament however temporary that work was how much more the blood of jesus who through the eternal spirit through that holy spirit offered himself without spots to god so his his crucifixion jesus's ability to go to the cross was done in the power of the holy spirit the spirit of god had to strengthen him for that particular walk and that's the reason why you see such a conflict in him in the garden when he was saying not my will lord but your will At that point in time jesus himself did not want to die but the spirit of god by the power of the holy spirit was able to fulfill this mission number five he was resurrected from the grave by this same power the holy spirit and we see this countless times in scripture particularly in the book of romans because paul talks about it a lot i'll read Romans 1, 4, which we've already talked about in Bible study, it says, And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. And I remember when we were treating it, when we started the Roman series back four months ago now, one of the things we said was that the spirit of holiness resurrected Jesus, that Jesus was resurrected by the spirit of holiness, And the spirit of holiness is the holy spirit spirit of god number six the bible says he he instructed his disciples and church through the spirit if you look at the book of acts chapter one verse two i'll just read quickly because of time and it says here until the day in which he was taken up after he through the holy spirit And giving commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. Being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. That's 2 and 3. But what we are going to focus here on here is verse 2. Where he says that he he was giving command to them. He gave commandments to the apostles through the Holy Spirit, meaning that He instructed them through the Holy Spirit. And finally, number seven, He gave them the Holy Spirit. He gave them the Holy Spirit. And we see that in Acts chapter 2, verse 33. Acts 2, verse 33, this was in Peter's message, where Peter said, Therefore, being exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. So essentially, they were accused of being drunk. Peter was saying, no, we're not drunk. And when Peter was preaching his sermon, Peter said he was basically taking them through history. And all the things that have happened, and when he finally got to that moment where they were in, he now said that after he is exalted at the right hand of God, and he has received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out what he received, which is what you now see and hear. So this that you see us speaking is evidence of what he has received from this from the Father, and he has given to us. So, these seven points here are the work of Jesus, the work of the Holy Spirit, rather, in the life of Jesus. Why is it important for us to know the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus? It's simple. It's simply because in some ways, on all these points, our lives mirror the life of Jesus as believers. So, on the first point, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. So, while Jesus was literally birthed by the Holy Spirit, we don't get literally birthed, but we get spiritually birthed by the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be born again. So, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, he talked about being born of water and of the Spirit. So, while Jesus, his literal birth was through the Holy Spirit, for us to cross from death to life we also have to experience a form of birth as well through the same spirit the difference is ours is a spiritual birth by the same spirit the second he was baptized and he was baptized by the spirit so in the same way that Jesus was baptized in water and then the Holy Spirit came upon him it's the same way we see in the seven point here the Holy Spirit also came upon the believers and he would come upon us and we also have to identify with him by being baptized in water so those are the similarities we kind of also go through the things that Jesus went through because we also go through baptism both Both baptism by water and the baptism of the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in new tongues. He was anointed for service by the Spirit. Immediately that anointing came upon Jesus when he was baptized. Then he could go and begin his ministry after the temptation. And the same way for us, for whatever God has chosen for us to do, we need to be anointed for that service and that comes by the Holy Spirit. He was crucified by the spirit and he resurrected by the Spirit. this has to do with his destiny Jesus's primary assignment on this earth was to come and die for our sins he came to pay the price and he came to rise up and he died through the power of the Spirit and was also risen up by the power of the spirit so then it means that every single time humanity talks about purpose or talks about destiny talks about what your life will become or what god is what even if they are christians or they are not when they are not christians they talk about things like your goals and your dreams and things you want to achieve and give you like a thousand and one rules that you have to obey or a thousand and one steps that you have to take to get to where you are supposed to be you'll be told to write down all your talents and all your gifts and all the things that you were good at when you were small and make a list and start to pursue them sometimes in the church we find some of these things also creeping into the church where um, motivation and self-help is somehow mixed with scripture to supposedly help Christians to move closer to their destiny or their purpose the primary thing that should be taught when it comes to destiny or purpose it's the Holy Spirit nobody gets to where God wants them to get to nobody is able to fulfill purpose in life nobody is able to do that specific thing that God wired them to do without the Holy Spirit because Jesus himself could not do it without the Holy Spirit so the reason why we're looking at all the places and all the areas that Jesus needed the Holy Spirit is because our lives would also follow him as a pattern in that all the things that he went through from the new birth which is a mirror of his home birth to his baptism to the anointing to us being anointed for service to us fulfilling our mandate walking in line with God's plan and purpose for our life till we get to the end of our life's journey wherever that is every single thing that Jesus did he did through the Holy Spirit and the concluding question here is if every single area of Jesus' life was influenced by the Holy Spirit how can we ever do anything without the same Spirit? It is futile for a Christian to try to do anything or to try to live their life outside of the realm of the control of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the true overseer of this world, not in terms of the systems of government, you no, know, but the true ki- kingdom. The true kingdom of God, which is who we are, presence on this, present on this earth, is totally and completely governed and controlled by the Spirit of God. So if you belong to that kingdom, you cannot function without Him. You can't. You can't do anything without Him. Because it's only when you're in that kingdom that you'll be able to live by the kingdom rules. And God does not play by the rules of this world. We talk a lot about how the systems of this world are governed by the devil it's true but that doesn't have to be your lot or your fate, because every single thing in scripture points towards the simple fact that we belong to another kingdom that has its own different set of rules so when we teach about how like we say the devil is the god of this world that is a truth but there is a side to that truth that every believer needs to know and that's the side to that truth is you are not under his rule you are not because you belong to another kingdom which is why jesus spent time to let us know You are in this world, you are not of this world. What he's telling you is not just about the fact that they will hate you or they will persecute you. And we talk about those things a lot. And we should, because we should know those things. But we should also spend time talking about our authority in Christ. And how, because we are not of this world, the things that affect this world should not directly affect us. That when we hear that something is happening to everyone or everything is happening to or everything is scattering or everything is getting destroyed or things are getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse for people. Is it a reality? Yes, it's a reality. It does not have to be your reality. And people might hear this and say, oh. When Christians live deluded lives, it's not delusion. It's simply a recognition of the fact that I don't belong here. And the things, when I want anything in my life, I go to one person as my source. When I need something to be done in my life, I go to the person's kingdom that I belong to. And I follow the principles that govern that kingdom which primarily is faith and everything else that comes with faith so when i need something in my life and the world system is that you need to do this that 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 you need to know someone before you can get into that place you need to lobby before you can have access to this before you can make it into so-and-so area of life need to do this you need to do that some people will call it the unspoken rules of society you just need to do them and when you do them you'll be fine because everybody does them i can hear all those things and say okay fine i'm not disputing that this thing is a reality i'm not disputing that it is true what may i know is doesn't affect me because when i need something because i know that jesus everything he did it depended on the holy spirit i simply just go and say okay god this is what i want spirit of god help me this is the direction i want to go and that's why it's important before we even start to look at all the different aspects of our lives that the holy spirit is here to aid us with or to put to impute himself in there are so many there are so many it's not actually, it's not actually you can't exhaust it so, so i'm just going to look at a few it's important for us to just have a general overview of how if jesus's entire life was controlled by the spirit of god that we really don't have any other options we don't um i'll just conclude by telling a short story i don't know if i've told it before but um a story anyway. So I was driving back from school with some of my classmates, and um, I was coming from, from school, and granted many of these people, they, for lack of a better word, they've seen life more than me, because many of them are older, they're married, they're, like they're second or third kid and they've experienced so much in this life and in this Lagos and we're in the car and we're sitting down and there's no day that we're coming back that somehow we don't discuss Nigeria because one of my classmates works for government and another one is an independent contractor so they end up arguing constantly about how Basically, doing business in Nigeria, doing business in Lagos is something else. And that's the, the normal conversation, like most of the time when we're coming back from from school, is about the po- po- polarizing views that both of them have. So the, indep- the independent contractor is talking a lot about how everybody breaks the law and because they are sacred cows and all that, the law cannot truly be enforced and all that. And yes, the guy that works in government is actually agreeing with him. But then we have like this interesting scenario where like, the day that the guy that works in government brings his car, for example, or his truck, because his truck is a government truck, and we're going home, and there's traffic, he just enters the BRT lane, and he's just speeding, and nobody can hold him, nobody can stop him, nobody can do anything to him. On the one hand, me, I'm trying to get home, so I don't mind. (laughs) On the other hand, he's breaking the law. And he's breaking the law because he can. And he knows that he can. And so the independent contractor will say, see, this is what we're saying. It starts with these little things. then Then conversation will start again. And we'll start talking about Nigeria. And we'll all be talking in the car. And when we now get to the point where... We are talking about the future of Nigeria, and everybody starts saying their own. Then me, I'll not open my mouth. Small boy, that hasn't married and doesn't know do anything, and hasn't suffered like them. And I'll <laughs> and I'll say, well, Misha, all I know is that this country is going to get better. Things are going to get fixed. All these things we are seeing around us it's won't last. And I start to talk about how. It won't last forever and all these things are crumbling down. And they will start telling me logically, giving me inside information to actually the one that is in government, obviously, giving me inside information about all the systemic flaws and all the problems that exist and why every single thing that I am saying is essentially just naivety. And I tell them, well... Everything you said is a reality. I'm not even arguing with you people. I'm telling you what I believe. And everything that I believe is not based on anything that is logical. Because every single thing that you have said with brain is true. But I don't accept it. This country will get better. And that's where talk ends. Like when I say talk ends, I mean this talk has come up more than two, three times. It's always end there. Why am I doing this? It's not because I'm trying to show them anything. It's so for two major reasons. Because there's a consciousness in me that I belong in a different kingdom. But there's also the fact that I cannot be here, nights with you, family prayer, this, that, be interceding from Nigeria. Then I'll not use that same mouth in conversation. To go and say nonsense or agree with what is realistically true in God about the state of the nation because I'm just hindering my own prayers by doing that because I belong to a kingdom where my president essentially has told me that whatever I decree on earth will be done in heaven Essentially, he has assured me that anything that I say that I want, I should just tell him, and he will do it. He has said that where two or three are gathered in his name, he is there, and whatever we request, he will answer. And I remember that I've gathered these other people, all of us members of that kingdom, and we have agreed on some things. That's my house. That's my kingdom. That's my family. That's where I belong completely governed by the Holy Spirit who is a representative of Jesus and because you belong to that kingdom you have to let that consciousness sink in that that's where we are that's who we are we can't do anything without him and we have to embrace it completely in every area of our lives no matter how mundane that thing seems it's about what the Holy Spirit is saying It's about what he is doing. It's about what direction he wants to take that particular matter or take that particular situation. Irrespective of whatever the current reality might be. The ability to ignore that reality and look at what God says is who the Christian is. Amen. Let's rise up. so in the next two weeks we will start to look at those individual spaces or places in the bible where we will look at the specific functions of the holy spirit we'll start to look at them one by one and we'll start that in the next two weeks but i can tell you that from today's lesson the short answer and the short summary of what we'll start treating in the next two weeks is that the Holy Spirit has been given to us for everything. Everything is the answer. Every single thing. Everything that we are going to treat, the points that we are going to look at next two weeks until we conclude this teaching, would not be the end of the matter because the Holy Spirit has been given to us for everything. He is our everything. So I want you to open your mouth right now and speak to him. And tell him that he is your everything. And that you want to depend on him for everything. For every single thing. Like Jesus did. There was no facet of Jesus' life that was not controlled and influenced by the Holy Spirit. From his birth to his death to his resurrection. And if our Jesus was like that, we cannot afford to be any different. We just can't afford it. In Jesus' name, we're afraid. I want us to pray that if there are any ways or any places or areas in our lives, that we've not let the Holy Spirit to come in, where we've not allowed him to come in to do his work, that he will reveal those spaces to us so that we can let him we can let him in and he can do what he wants to do for us in the name of Jesus. That we will not hold back anything from him or his spirit in Jesus' name. Open your mouth and begin to pray. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Father, we give you praise, we give you thanks. We exalt you, we magnify you because you are God. We thank you, Lord, we magnify your holy name. We bless you, Lord, for all that you've done and all that you've taught us today. Thank you, Lord Jesus, because we'll go back to practice everything that we have listened to. Thank you, because as we go back, to even look at it. And to study it on our own, that you teach us more by your spirit in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen.